to the next class. I'm Rob Birdsell, your host, and joined as always by my co-host, Tom Burnford. Tom, good, good to see you. Good to see you, Rob. How are you doing in this uh, this busy time as schools are back in? And yet, uh, still, I, I know for me, there's a lot of challenges going on with uh, teacher shortages in Catholic schools at this point. So, Yep, there are shortages everywhere, it seems. Um, you know, it's a beautiful day here in Chicago, eight inches of fresh snow and 20 degrees, and now we got blue skies. So I'm looking out at a beautiful, snowy front yard. Uh, I got to say this morning when I was sitting watching the snow come down, it was coming one to two inches an hour. There's this beautiful cardinal in the backyard. And it reminded me, my wife is a kindergarten teacher. And yesterday they had a cardinal come to the bird feeder outside her classroom. And this little girl says to her, uh, Mrs. Birdsell, I've never seen a bird that put that jacket on. <laughs> she literally excellent. thought the bird just put their clothes on. Today wanted all red. <laughs> excellent. There you go. Putting on the putting on the red clothes to stay warm. That's excellent. <laughs> That's excellent. Well, yeah, it's snowing here too, Rob. And uh, but uh, isn't it amazing how things have changed? That even though it's snowing and snow days, kids are back in school or they're doing school remotely. And for all of us who are home at this time, uh, still working away still working away. The weather doesn't matter so much now. Yeah, my, my one daughter who's still here at home with us was very upset they didn't have a snow day today. She's like, we know how to do remote learning now. Why do we have to go to school? <laughs> exactly. exactly. I said, I think they want to see you in person. There you go. So Tom, we have a, a, a guest today who's a friend of both of ours, uh, Lincoln Snyder. He was appointed last summer as president CEO of the National Catholic Education Association by their board of directors. I met him when he was superintendent of Catholic schools for the Diocese of Sacramento. And Prior to that, he was a teacher, school leader, and international distributor for bottle products, a natural <laughs> fit for heading into a Catholic education career. So, Lincoln, welcome to the next class. Thanks so much, gentlemen. Great to be here. And Lincoln, it's great to talk with you as well. I've had the privilege of knowing you for uh, years through our uh, work with NCEA, and we'll never forget visiting uh, schools in the Diocese of Sacramento, uh, particularly uh, touring Paradise with you after the fires, the 20, 2018 campfire. And just in Oroville, seeing how, how St. Thomas the Apostle took in students from the public school in Paradise that was destroyed and uh, getting to meet some of the children who were welcomed, having lost everything, were welcomed into a Catholic school, which was an amazing piece of ministry done by you, uh, your teachers, your principals. So uh, we'll never forget that, Lincoln. Uh, that was an incredible day for me, too. You know, So the city of Paradise was around 30,000 souls and 11,000 structures. And so, Tom, when, when you and I drove through the aftermath, uh, you know, th that kind of destruction, sort of an abstraction until you see it with your own eyes. I mean, I, I will never forget the impressions of that day, but sure. uh, I'll, I'll sure. also never forget the, the kindness of the NCEA when we um, when, when we made the ask of schools to help out fellow Catholic school students or fellow students uh, displaced by the campfire. Um, we raised so much money. Uh, yep. through uh, NCA's help that uh, the funds are still paying for students to be fully scholarshiped at St. Thomas the Apostle School today. That's so, tremendous. That's yeah, tremendous. So the outreach continues to benefit uh, kids that were uh, displaced by the campfire. Good. Good. Well, Lincoln, talking of NCA, how are you enjoying your, your leadership role there? Doing great. So this is my seventh month on the job. I, I uh, Good. Uh, retired from the superintendency on the on the 30th of June and started NCEA July 1. 
um, you know, it's, it's been very exciting. It's, it's a big country, of course, with around 6,000 Catholic schools, 1.7 million students we get to say this year, thanks to growth and enrollment, um, 176 dioceses with schools. And so, uh, um, I, I am having a lot of fun getting to know the membership, uh, from coast to coast and, and everywhere in between and learning about, uh, about their needs and learning all about their great schools. And looking at such a great story, the growth in enrollment, um, Tom and I have been seeing it all across the country in small and large schools, and uh, and the kids are staying. They obviously came at the beginning of the pandemic when our schools were open, Catholic schools were open, and and they have stayed. And the uh, it's just it's so energizing to see the the growth in enrollment and people valuing Catholic schools. Um, you know, one thing, Lincoln, that we talk about a lot here on the next class is the future of education. We've had some great mm-hmm. conversations about where education. You know, elementary, secondary, we've had some great post-secondary conversations. Um, as you think to the future, what, what is an action, a lot of our listeners, our school leaders, what is an action you think a school leader should be doing now to ensure continued growth, continued success in Catholic schools? I think that the secret sauce of Catholic education that, that was really proven by the test we withstood is is uh, the beauty of our communities. So the the our data report isn't out yet, but I, I can uh, offer your listeners the spoilers uh, Ooh, that absolutely. we are willing to we're willing to call it and say that we're anticipating 1.692 million kids in our schools this year, plus minus one last diocese to report. Uh, that means four percent growth, uh, over sixty thousand wow. kids. So just, wow, that's huge. We've gained more students this year than the single largest diocese in the country in terms of their overall enrollment. So we've added another Los Angeles, essentially, to the enrollment wow. of Catholic schools. So this That's is the first amazing, time in 24 Lincoln. years we've seen positive growth. Um, and it has, I think, disrupted that that trajectory of, of uh, you know, maybe our schools being a little bit smaller year on year since 1955. Um, we're up. And uh, the great news within that good news is that our retention rates of all those new friends that we've welcomed to our schools are well over 90% in every diocese reporting. It looks wow. like it's going to be somewhere around 93%. Some dioceses are reporting 97 and 98% retention. So in Sacramento, when I was exiting, 98% of the families that had come new to our schools had re-enrolled for the next year. And um, the, the the data it says different things, but I think the general, general sentiment is this, is that a lot of families um, came to us because we were open. And we were able to offer an in-person education for their child. But once they were in our communities, they stayed because of the community. And so that's a great story to tell. You know, they, they expected one thing but are staying because they're getting another. And, and I, I think in terms of having a lot of new friends that can help us tell the story of what's great about Catholic education for their children, uh, this, this is a very unique opportunity for us. Lincoln, what do, you, what, what do you mean by community? When they're, they came because we're open. They're staying because of community. Can you expound on that a bit? Yeah, so some version of the sentiment, they fell in love with the school or they fell in love with the school community. Um, it is a financial sacrifice for most of our parents to send their child to a Catholic education. But when presented with the opportunity to go back to the their previous school, which in most cases was a public school paid for by tax dollars, they liked the school environment enough that they're continuing to invest in a Catholic education for their child. And the number one reason is they just really like the place. They feel it's a great environment for their kid. That's such great news. And I mean, that is that's that's tremendous, um, Lincoln. And we can't can't wait to uh, see the uh, the data in the the annual NCEA data report, which comes out. So um, and I think 
I'm always struck by the the opportunity when a family comes to a Catholic school is to witness, is to witness that community, is to witness who we are and what we do and what we believe. And if we do that well, people will come and they will stay. And those retention rates demonstrate that we have something there. But Lincoln, so just to, to sort of flip that around a little bit, in your role um, as uh, head of, of the National Catholic Educational Association, what worries you about Catholic education over the next 10 years? I mean, is there, I'm, I'm sort of curious, um, I know what used to keep me up at night, but what keeps you up at night when looking at Catholic schools in the United States these days? Uh, it's that balancing act of, of serving the people who are within our communities, and then also serving uh, as, <clears throat> so we have to catechize, but we also have to evangelize at the same time, and, and put that in practical terms. Uh, if you look at a big diocese like Los Angeles or, say, Sacramento even, uh, the number of baptisms in a lot of our dioceses are down on the order of 50% over the last 10 to 15 years. And so we have this bigger societal trend of, of disaffiliation. In other words, people are less affiliated with organized religion now than they were 30 years ago. And I think that presents a lot of challenges for our ministries. You know, I think the opportunity is Catholic, Catholic education is a great opportunity to bring in families that maybe aren't observant or not even Catholic and, and show them what we're about as a church. So that, I, mean, yep. I, I really view our, our schools as a real instrument to to engage with families that, that maybe aren't uh, Sunday mass goers every Sunday or not mass goers at all, but to show them what, what a Catholic community looks like in practice. I mean, it's, it's an opportunity for the church, but we know that we're going to have to look at um, how we approach the market for Catholic schools differently. We can't count on Father asking the congregation on Sunday to show up at the Catholic school for the open house after mass and think that we're going to make our numbers. In other words, we're going to have to find ways to engage with families who maybe aren't um, necessarily observant um, to bring them into the school because we've got a great community and an excellent education. And then also be very mindful of that really strong mission role that we play as, as Catholic institutions to make sure that we're, we're bringing kids closer to uh, Jesus Christ is the, the ultimate reason that we do what we do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this church exists in order to evangelize. Vatican II is very clear on that. And Catholic schools are an integral part of that. So, um, yeah. Thank you. That's good. So, Lincoln, you've been in this role six months now. Um, what has been the biggest surprise for you? Um, it, you've been in Catholic schools a long time. You've been a leader, a teacher. So you knew what you're getting into, but there has to be something that kind of like, whoa, wasn't expecting that. You know, it's, it's um, all politics is local, I think, is a pretty well-worn phrase. And, and uh, I would say that all schools are local. Uh, mm -hmm. People are very, very. I, I, I knew this before that that one of the beauty, beauties of the way our church is set up with everything really distributed to the grassroots is everybody when they fall in love with the community they feel like somehow they're let in on the secret and they've got the secret sauce and uh, you know they just people just be be like us then everything would be great and um, seeing the way that people are invested that level in all of their local communities times six thousand. Uh, it has really been um, a, just a, a point of reflection for me. I mean, we've got a lot of people that, yes, they're serving the church and they're there for Catholic schools, but really they're there for that local community because that's what really motivates them. And so really just seeing how 
local our schools are. I know when I look at the the strategies that we're going to have to employ to grow as a system and sustain this growth and and support our schools with things like good public advocacy, you know, we're not talking about a national strategy. Really, we're talking about a 50 state plan or 176 diocese plan and really understanding that that. Uh, what we as the association do has to be bottom up and not top down for that reason um, is, is, is it wasn't a surprise, but um, just wrapping my head around how to go about that approach to it and really trying to be a responsive member association demands a lot of engagement at the local level. And as a ministry of presence is important, uh, ca- ca- talking to every superintendent in the country one by one right now via Zoom and just that level of dialogue is, I, I think, one of the important parts of my job. Yeah, I remember at Lincoln when I was running the Christoid Network, you know, those schools all are somewhat similar, but they were all so different. Every one of them was its own unique identity. I mean, whether it was the charism of the sponsoring order, uh, the local board that owned it, but but I could not agree with you more that Catholic schools are local. That's uh, it's also why I think they're great. Indeed. And, and I think we saw that during COVID with just the ability for Catholic schools to adapt in their own way to serve their particular situation uh, and to serve their local communities. So, Lincoln, you mentioned you've been out, you've been talking with superintendents around the country. Have you been able to get out and visit some schools as well? I have. You know, I've, I've had a lot of joy in uh, visiting different parts of the country. And I've been to Florida, have uh, been spending time in the Northeast, I uh, have uh, uh, looking forward to our big convention in New Orleans coming up in April. And so, uh, you know, of course, been to Dallas as we plan for the 2023 convention. So, uh, yeah, I'm getting a real um, positive sense of, of all the great things going on as I, as I tackle meetings and visits at all these different regions. Oh, that's tremendous. Well, talking about the convention, um, can you tell us, t- give, us a, give us a preview of what we can expect in New Orleans? I, I mean, I know this is going to be one of the first opportunities for many Catholic school leaders to meet in person uh, over the past couple of years. So the people I'm talking to about it are super excited. I'm really looking forward to uh, coming. So um, yeah, tell us a little bit about it. Well, we're really looking forward to giving people the New Orleans experience. Uh, you know, albeit um, you know so- somewhat uh, somewhat changed because of COVID. So you know, the, the city has its restrictions and protocols and things in place, like you've seen everywhere. Uh, we're really planning for a fun time. Um, of course, we'll have a, an opening mass. We're going to have a gospel mass. We have some great keynotes, great speakers. All the sessions that people are used to. Um, it's right downtown on the waterfront, next to the French Quarter. So. Uh, Folks will have a chance to check out the city. We're trying to bring vendors to bring in some of the food. We're going to have a, um, a lot of the music. We're going to have a soundtrack for the convention. Make sure we're bringing in local local musicians to really nice. give it a, a, a nice, uh, like I said, a nice soundtrack um, uh, to uh, keep keep the uh, keep the party rolling for our Catholic uh, school educators that come to the come to the event. Oh, that's excellent! That's excellent! That's exciting! And also, it, um, I, I mean. We have Catholic Schools Week coming up as well, right? I mean, for us, that's next week. Yes, indeed. So. One of our one of our great weeks to shine. Uh, I think one of the exciting things is uh, 
Uh, obviously, from uh, in, in in recent years, we we've gone to two Catholic Schools Week, Discover Catholic Schools Week in the fall to to uh, perhaps introduce schools to families that may not be in a Catholic school now, and then celebrate Catholic Schools Week this coming week to make sure we're acknowledging all the great things going in on our in our communities for the communities. And uh, uh, every school has its own way of doing it. Um, you know, we're, there's a day of giving aligned with it that that we're supporting. So we're just looking forward to celebrating that 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 carnival activity. Uh, yeah, next week. Excellent. Great. We're going to take a brief pause, gentlemen, to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Catholic Virtual is the trusted online education partner of Catholic schools worldwide. We develop customized online learning solutions to meet the needs of our partner schools and their students. Visit our website at www.catholicvirtual.com to learn more. Now back to the episode. And we're back. Um, Lincoln, Tom alluded to it earlier, but we're hearing from a lot of schools about uh, challenges with hiring teachers and Mm -hmm. teacher shortages. Um, I had lunch with a friend last week whose Spanish teacher just literally just quit the other day, and now they don't have Spanish at that school. Can you give our listeners, again, school leaders, any ideas or ways to adapt in this challenge? It's not just teachers. It's every industry is facing this right now, but specifically for schools. Do you have ideas or strategies for schools on how to adapt in this challenging uh, labor force? Indeed. Uh, the, the, The profile of the Catholic school teacher perhaps has changed a little bit too. You know, we know that that all schools and not just Catholic schools are drawing from a smaller pool of educators than we've had in the, the past. You know, a lot of teacher credentialing programs and it varies state by state, but in California, the, the number of folks in teacher preparation programs is down by about half. So we know that uh, we're all looking to compete for uh, that uh, next generation of teachers coming in. Uh, you know, we're, we are blessed by actually a pretty... Um, there's a lot of longevity in the community of Catholic school teachers, which I think has been of a bit of a buffer. Of course, we're always worried about burnout and retirements, and we know that during COVID, a lot of folks, um, you know, have decided to to retire or step away from the job. It's been a challenging environment for everyone. Um, but one of the things I've learned in looking at our data is we have way more 20 plus year employees than we think in the Catholic system. Huh. Right. High percentage. High percentage of our folks, you know, so we administer a test called the Instrument for Growth, which is a catechetic assessment. And one of the data points of the, in there is the uh, uh, the age of the uh, the person taking the test, and um, a, a preponderance of the people taking the test are fifty plus. Right. So, right. so that there's both good news and bad news in that. Is that um, you know, in the short run, maybe we haven't been as susceptible to that. A lot of people go through teacher preparation, get into teaching, work in the field for a couple of few years and decide it's not for them and opt out after a few years. Right? And so you always have that bump where you have a new class come in and then there's attrition as we go along the way. Um, that cadre of long-term teachers has helped stabilize Catholic schools a bit. Um, I do think that it does also present a long-term challenge because when you're looking at a, at a workforce that's, uh, you know, again, a majority or um, maybe 5, 10, 15 years out from retirement age, it means that we do have to do long-term planning. So, uh, you know, the, as, as I think about it from the perspective of a superintendent or as a principal, you want to be looking at things like pay scale right now and understanding who in the community could be the next generation of teacher in the, in the school right now. Um, it's going to take... Um, Yes, looking at things like salaries, but also making sure that there's a lot of intentional um, 
preparation of that next generation for within the community to make sure you have those those um, those bonds. Uh, another special thing about Catholic schools is just how many schools have a high percentage of alum teaching there. And again, that's also been a bit of a stabilizer. I, I think that one thing we could certainly do better is, is mining uh, for that next generation of teachers amongst our uh, alumni as they graduate from our high schools, knowing that, that we want to stay in relationship, um, hoping that some of them will come back and, and teach the next generation. I was actually on this morning with uh, someone from the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, and we were talking about uh, an organization that that I actually started at Marquette High School, Marquette University High School, called the Alumni Service Corps. And it's where alumni can go back, uh, originally alumni from Marquette High, to teach, spend a year of service, live in community, uh, very nominal wages. But they, uh, what it was bringing, Lincoln, is when I was at Market High, there were about 15 or 20 scholastics, young Jesuits in formation. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're any there today. But mm-hmm. these young alumni are bringing that energy. You know, on a Sunday night, they're opening up the gym for the students to come out and have an open gym. You know, they're playing guitar at mass. Uh, they're bringing that youthful energy that the scholastics brought you know, in the in the 70s and 80s. Uh, so that is a way, if, if schools have not thought about an alumni service corps, uh, certainly reach out. Uh, there are tons of them around the country right now and a great way for schools to, to bring energy and youth into their faculty. Well, and in addition, Rob and, and Lincoln, there are also a significant number of universities that have teacher training programs that include um, real practical experience and jobs for graduates of the programs that involve living in community. And um, I mean, the, the ACE program out of Notre Dame is the largest, but there are a lot of other programs like that, if I'm not mistaken. And the one thing that reminded me or that, that they reminded me of was this sense of how maybe 50 years ago, religious sisters would live in community while teaching in a Catholic <laughs> school and therefore were able to integrate their work more fully into their lives and in some sense, help the students better by a deeper level of vocation to uh, teaching. And I think there are so many different options for the way that Catholic school teachers today can uh, live and teach. Uh, and particularly for the younger younger teachers coming into the profession, that idea of those community houses is is uh, makes a lot of sense to me. One of the special things about Catholic schools in terms of attracting teachers is the fact that we have a leadership quotient and a community quotient that do give us an advantage over other schools. Uh, that uh, people, when they teach in Catholic schools, often love the environment. You know, we hear this time and again that, well, I'm making less money, but I couldn't imagine ever teaching somewhere else. And so yes, um, we know that it's a sacrifice for teachers to do that. But once they're engaged, they tend to they tend to stay. Uh, the other bit is, um, and you alluded to this, Tom, the leadership programs out there. You know, we're seeing more and more superintendents who uh, and school level leaders who are graduates of programs like the Jesuit Volunteer Corps or the Notre Dame ACE program. In other words, they they have come up through a program in which they've been formed in the faith and in the mission of schools and a certain spirituality. They've had community and they have a lot of really good and creative ideas for re- reproducing that for their teams once they're in their new jobs as leaders. So we, we do think that those those programs aren't just there to give us young and enthusiastic teachers for a period of time, but it's also the bench for top-level leadership for years going forward. And we know that people want to work for great leaders. And so the more that we have these leaders coming out of these 
excellent programs like ACE or JVC, the more that we're going to see uh, people going to schools and staying there. And speaking of leadership, so Lincoln, coming back to my introduction of you, you had a, a, a bit of a different road into education. You started, if I recall from our, our conversations, bottle distribution. Yeah, it's a funny story there. You know, so I, I went to the uh, left Sacramento at 18 and moved to D.C., went to the School of Foreign Service at Georgetown and said, I'm never coming back to Sacramento. Show me the world. So I wanted to uh, be an ambassador or be in the Foreign Service, rather, and it's three year wait to take the test. And so I, I went to work for an American company in Poland. So this is the 90s and, and uh, the wall had fallen and, and uh, Central Europe was being transformed. And, and it was a really exciting time to be part of that. But yeah, the company I worked for happened to produce beverage packaging, so I could tell you all about cans, bottles, and bottle caps. Ask me anything. <laughs> Lincoln, did you? What is there anything you learned in that experience that you found useful in your later career in Catholic education? This is a great question. Uh, I, you know, I, I learned how to work with a really diverse set of people uh, across cultures. I mean, a uh, funny story. One time, I was sent to uh, Ajman, which is uh, an emirate in the United Arab Emirates, two cities over from Dubai, to b- bail out a group of engineers that gotten picked up on a on a DUI. You're not allowed to drink at all in Arab countries. And so the boss said, "Why don't you just stay for four months and do a market survey for another factory while you're there?" And wow. so uh, I was kind of an accidental tourist of, of different corners of, of Europe and, and Asia um, because of this job. And I think it gave me a real sensitivity to, to understanding people being empathetic, understanding that they might be very different perspectives or uh, t- to the table. Um, and, you know, I, I think that that um, part of the job of Catholic leadership is uh, got a diplomatic quality to it. You know, so one of the things they always taught us in 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 uh, the School of Foreign Service was that that um, uh, authority. Sorry, sorry. It's so authority is the ability to direct a behavior, and power yeah. is the ability to influence an outcome. Ha. Okay, so when you look at it, when you look at a network like the church, where again it's bottom up, and you know people think perhaps from the outside in that the Catholic Church is this really rigid corporate hierarchy, but that's not who we are at all. And the truth is, we're more this confederation of, of franchisees operating under the spiritual umbrella with the bishops and then the Holy Father as our as our leads. Uh, but the truth is, to be effective in, in Catholic leadership, you really have to make sure that your exercising power. You're helping people understand why you want to do what you do and help influence those outcomes. It's a very rare day in church work that you get to tell somebody just what they have to do. Absolutely. <laughs> it's such an interesting path. And so then how did you how did you get into Catholic education? Great question. I was literally called. I walked into my, uh, I, had, I had decided that, that international business and travel was no longer for me when I realized my kids were going to be calling me uh, uncle because I wasn't around very much. And, <laughs> and uh, so we moved from Poland back to Sacramento. And I walked into my old high school alma mater front office just to see how the old place was doing. And a former teacher of mine, who at the time was the summer school principal, said, we just lost our rhetoric teacher. Your mom taught that class. If you can steal her curriculum, I'll hire you on the spot. My mother had been a Catholic school teacher as well. So called mom, stole her curriculum, got a job and uh, and and found myself. Uh, That's great found myself teaching at Christian Brothers High School in Sacramento. So it was, you know, people talk about being called by the Spirit, and the Spirit calls us through people usually, uh, but uh, Spirit wasn't particularly subtle about it that time. It was more like, oh, hey, it's you. Here you go. So I, I was I was very blessed to literally be handed my first job in Catholic education. That's a great story Thanks, and a great Thanks, school. Mom. 
<laughs> a great story and a great school, Lincoln. I, that is a, I had the privilege of getting a tour there a couple years ago. It's a beautiful campus and such a strong charism of the Christian brother. So, um, well, as we uh, head to the close here, Lincoln, we ask all of our guests one final question, and that is, who was your favorite teacher and why? Oh, boy. You know, that is a that is a very, very, very tough question for me because I've had some excellent teachers over the years. Um, you know, I, uh, I would have to go with the person that I, I most wanted to emulate when I was a teacher myself was uh, um, a man at Christian Brothers Sacramento named Tom English, who was a 40 plus year uh, teacher at that school. Uh, you know, I started off as a freshman and then for history and had him again as a senior for philosophy and logic and then ended up teaching in the classroom next to him when I was uh, a teacher there and, and uh, was just at his retirement party last year after he uh, retired after 40 plus years with the brothers. So now Tom English was very much um, the person that I really respected and most wanted to emulate myself when I became a teacher. Uh, Tom, Tom was just tremendous. Those are great, great people. There are a few of them at Market High when I went back and was teaching that I was planning my whole my whole pedagogy and delivery off of them. So I can I can just picture uh, Tom English. What a, what a great story, Lincoln. Lincoln, thank you for joining us on the next class. It was great to have you here and to see you. To our listeners, if you've enjoyed today's discussion, we hope that you will share this with family and friends and like us on whatever platform you're listening to the next class. Tom, any closing thoughts? Thank you so much, Lincoln. We look forward to seeing you at the NCEA convention in New Orleans. Hey, it's my pleasure. I uh, can't wait to, to welcome you there. And uh, if anybody's interested in attending, they can always check out our website at ncea.org. Great. Well, thank you all. Thank you for giving us the privilege of your time for listening today. And we hope you all have a good week. And thank you for listening to the next class. We hope you enjoyed this episode today. If you did, we'd greatly appreciate it if you would share this episode with your friends and family. If you get a moment to rate or review us, that too would be much appreciated. Have a great day.